Hello, and welcome to the Natural Dye Podcast, a place to hear the voices of individuals using color from nature. My name is Kelsey, and I'll be your host today. Maria Elena Pombo is a New York-based artist who explores ideas of time and culture under the moniker Fragmentario. Born in Caracas, Venezuela, her work is striking in the way that it explores intersections of place and time through the use of byproducts, such as avocado seeds. We hope you enjoy the ways Maria Elena thinks deeply about commodities, materials, and design, and that it inspires you on your own natural dye journey. Enjoy. Hello, my name is Marilena Pombo. I have been working since 2016 um, with the moniker Fragmentario. I am based in New York City, but I was born and raised in in Venezuela. I I work with different materials. I studied uh, industrial engineering in Venezuela, and my last year studies, I I went to France, and I did a semester in university there, and then I was interning in a cable manufacturing company. Um, it was a really good internship, actually, like they were paying me and actually really good money to be like a 21 year old person. But I realized that this wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I think I started to question um, a little bit the track that I had set for me uh, some years earlier when I went into engineering school. I started to rethink next steps and I I went back to Venezuela, I graduated, and as I was like finishing my last year of engineering, I applied to study fashion at, at Parsons. Um, I And then right after my graduation, I actually moved to New York to study fashion. Um, I graduated in 2013 from the fashion design program at Parsons. And soon after, I started working at Michael Kors as an assistant uh, technical designer. Um, around the same time, um, I discovered by uh, accident or a, a very strange circumstance, I guess, uh, the world of like natural dyes. I was helping my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, um, make some some bags. He had this idea that he wanted to, to make um, cases for like the computer and the iPod and all this like tech gear, um, but with a different aesthetic that was more aligned with his own taste. And he's very interested in like that stock, um, like Boy Scout clothes and this type of things. Um, so I started helping him with that project. Like I remember, I mean, this was in 2013, so there wasn't even a lot of like organic cotton. So I, I knew one store in, in the garment district that had organic cotton. So I took him there and he wanted a brown fabric. When we got there, there were two brown colors, but he didn't like either. And I got a little bit upset, like, okay, you have two options, you know, not even one, there's two. So you should like one of them. And he said, no, neither of them was really what he had in mind. And he proposed that we dye the fabric. And I was like really burned out at the moment. I had just graduated and all my projects at school were super experimental. And now at Parsons, there is even like a special pathway called systems and material, which is the one that I have been working in that is super experimental. And they really allow the students to, to use this fashion vocabulary, but in a different way. Uh, but when I graduated, it was still much more traditional. So all my experiments that I had been doing, um, I, I think that the professors, they weren't really taking it so well. Like, and, and they were all the time asking me, like, where's your merchandising plan? And I was like, I don't have that and I don't want to do it. But I wove 
um, this sleeve with some like pearl chain. And they were like, how are you going to produce this? And they, they were so stressed about like the fact, like how things were going to be in quote the real world. So I think when I graduated, I, I was really burned out of like any experimentation. And when he proposed we dye fabric, I was not interested. I was like, no, we have to make things the, the normal way. Um, and then to make everything worse, he told me that he had read about people dying with like uh, walnut shells and onion skins. Um, he grew up in in like Western New York State, uh, where there's a lot of like Amish people. So he had heard about uh, the Amish people like dying some of their fabrics like this. Um, I say even worse when he proposes because to me it didn't sound appealing at all. The, the way he framed it, I thought this is going to be crazy. This is going to smell bad. How are you going to do this? You're insane. And I, I was totally against it. But then when we were in the subway going back to, to my apartment where we had like my sewing machine, um, I started to think more about it and think, okay, this is the same that I have been doing, which is a lot of experimentation, but maybe with materials that are more aligned um, with how I live my life. Because like all my experiments at school were uh, like neoprene and plastic and all these things. But meanwhile, at home, I was like making my own almond milk or like almond butter and all these things. So it was kind of like experimenting in the kitchen and in the studio, but in a very different way. So I thought, well, actually this is, like a middle point, right, of this experimentation, but using materials that um, that I can have easier access to. Um, so we started to like research about it because he knew about it, but he didn't really know exactly how this worked. And this was 2013, so it, it was not as mainstream as it is now. I remember like I was trying to get into a class at Textile Arts Center, but they would always sell out super, super quick. And there wasn't really much going on. So I just like started reading about it and like experimenting, um, which I, I always tell people who are curious about natural dyes. I say it's it's great if you buy these books, but you also have to do a lot of experimentation because a lot of these books, they will have like a swatch with like a color, but it's going to depend on the fabric, right? Like, um, like protein based uh, fibers are going to take the color differently than cellulose fibers. And it's also going to depend on the soil where this plant grew. Like if you have like, I, I have dyed with like um, onion skins from like Arizona and they're so, the soil is super dry and the color is much more intense than when I use um, onion skins um, from, from onions that have grown in New York state where, where it's more humid. Um, and finally the water, like the, the water where you are makes such a big difference. So I, I always tell people like, it's great to have these books and have the base, but it's, you also really have to get to know this very intimately, very, very well. Um, so we, we got these books and we started researching and like, uh, we started experimenting, but this was on the side, like on, we would do this on the weekends or like, uh, at home coming from work because I was working at the time as a, as a fashion designer, like corporate um, and he also had like a, a full-time job as a web designer for, for a company in California, just re remote before, before this thing became, you know, remote became the reality. He had been doing it for, for some time. Um, and for, for many years, I was just doing this, um, as a sort of hobby. Uh, and well, I hate this word, but it, that's the more similar thing to, to describe it. Like it was just like my own personal interest, um, Pretty soon we got the colors that he needed. Uh, and 
at the same time, pretty soon we discovered that there was a lot, a lot more colors. Um, I have never been interested in color before in my life. And still today, I don't think I'm really too interested in color in a vacuum. But the fact that I was making this color, uh, these, these different colors with plants and that they all these plants had like a very rich history made it super, super interesting to me. And it really shifted my relationship with color to the point that now when I'm seeing some someone wearing orange, I'm thinking right away Anato. And it takes me to like a um, a, a very interesting place in my brain. Like it, it really shifted it. Um, and I started to also learn that um, a lot of the plants that are kind of like very important historically are actually from, from the American continent and a lot of them from, from South America. And this also made me even more curious because I never heard about this in Venezuela. And it really made me question why, if this is something that uh, when colonization first happened, natural dyes actually played like a super important role. So I started to research more of these just because um, it, it felt like a very interesting way to learn about history um, almost as a side effect, you know, and, and in a very unexpected way. So pretty soon, like I had developed like all these other colors with different plants. They didn't really match this, uh, project, um, that my partner had conceived at first, the one that got us into natural dyes. And I started to realize that most people in my life had never heard about natural dyes either. Um, and I, now I know that this is not the case, and especially now it's such like a mainstream thing. Like there's even classes at Parsons. I feel like most of my students like are at some point experiment with this. Um, but at the, at that time, I remember feeling um, like an urge to to share this with people because it felt like this was like a part of human history that was like really uh, almost like forgotten. Um, so I started to think, okay, how can I share this with people so people at least know that about this? You know, like my intention was never like, I want to now make everyone wear natural dyes. It's more like we should know about this. Um, it's like an important part of like human history. And at some point in like in 2016, so like three years later, and at that point I had went from working at Michael Kors to another company called Ovarian Sons as an associate designer. This was a, a menswear company that at the time they, they actually, I think that they closed during COVID, but at the time they were um, kind of like a CFDA darling. Like our, that, that year that I worked for them, they were nominated for like the CFDA Swarovski award. And uh, they had a lot of products going on with the CFDA, which was also interesting to see how a nascent brand was um, finding its, its space in the fashion industry, as opposed to Michael Kors, which was like already super stylish company. Um, and then after that, I was working at a, um, like active company called Joshun that also closed down at this point, um, as a senior designer. And it, it was during this, this job at, at Joshun that I really started to organize more like the research that I had been doing for the past years in natural dyes, but also in, in, in clothes in general, because like I, I was at the time I, I already had a studio, um, like a physical studio with, we were still uh, uh, boyfriend and girlfriend at the time um, with Griffin. As soon as um, 
maybe six months after I graduated, we started living together and we thought, should we get like a larger apartment or should we get a studio space like separately? So we decided to have a studio space where we could really just like play, uh, experiment with things and, and go there on the weekends. So like normal people would be going to brunch on the weekends or go for a hike and we would just go to our studio and be there like the whole weekend, each making our own things with, with no really a very clear goal in mind, just like learning. Um, like I was trying to get better at like making patterns um, and learning about natural dyes. And he was trying to also learn how to sew and like learn about natural dyes. And in this third job that I was working as a senior designer, um, I remember thinking, okay, I have been on this trajectory now working in the fashion industry here in New York and on paper it's, it's successful, right? Like I'm, I'm kind of going up the ranks or I'm like assistant to associate to senior. Um, but these companies that I have worked for, they don't really match my aesthetic or, or my values or my way of thinking, um, which I think it's fine. I, I think it's kind of really good to work for a company that it doesn't match too much because you know that you're not going to copy them. Yeah, it's it's very separate. You know that you're not going to copy them by accident. But I started seeing that I had to kind of like find myself again. And, and if I was to have my own project at some point, be it a brand or a studio or whatever, like I had to find again who I was beyond designing for these other people that required for me to get out of myself a little bit. And I I, I remember like I sat down to, to write um, the ideas that I wanted, whatever project I was going to do to, to capture. Because I, I, I was working with fashion and with natural dyes and I also wanted to write. And it, it was a little bit like all over in terms of um, outcome, like a physical outcome, but trying to understand then what was the essence of these projects that I had going on in my mind. And I remember writing down uh, the word slow, that, that I just wanted to really celebrate slowness Um at that point, I had been reading a lot about like the slow food movement. And I was thinking like, how can we bring the same ethos into fashion or textiles or just like out of food? Because I feel like in food, um, the slow food movement, it's really about celebrating yourself a little bit or not celebrating yourself, but you do it not because you're doing a favor to the restaurant or the farmer, but also because you're doing a favor to yourself because it's going to be a delicious meal. Uh, and like a very special moment. And I felt at the time that a lot of the conversations around slow, um, slow fashion were about making a favor to the designer or the person making the textiles, which is, there's going to be a limit in what you can achieve there because people at the end of the day want to also enjoy themselves. So I was thinking, okay, how can I make this a celebra celebration of, of slowness? Uh, so first of all, I'm not going to use this name because maybe it's also, it's not slow for slow's sake, but about working with time in, in your favor, not against it. Um, so I started to write down like ideas, like little by little, uh, step by step, like in English and in Spanish and in French. And I started to play in Google Translate, like how um, with these expressions and my paternal grandparents, they are from the northwest of Spain, a region called Galicia. And they speak uh, a language that it's it's not Spanish. It's called Galician or Gallego. Uh, it's kind of like in between Spanish and Portuguese. And like, I grew up in, in Venezuela with them speaking this language between each other, uh, kind of like a secret language, but it's 
you, you can more or less, if you speak Spanish and you grow up around it, you can more or less understand it. So it's a language that occupies like a special place in my brain. So I decided to try, like if there was some expression in this language and there was a glitch in the system that it, it translated like step by step uh, to Fragmentario. And I, I remember I called my grandmother and I asked her if she would use this word for this expression. And she said, not really, but if someone said it, maybe I would understand. Um, but I remember thinking like, well, I like that it has this secret meaning that it's maybe not even true. And also in Spanish, it would mean a collection of fragments, which is perfect because I already had this idea in my head that it would be many different projects. Um, I like that it was in Spanish, so you would know that it was my language, but also it's understandable in, in many languages. Like if you are an English-speaking person and you read Fragmentario, it's similar enough to Fragmentary, so you kind of know. Same for like Italian and, and French. Um, so I decided to kind of go with it. I remember I, I asked a couple of my friends um, and they were like, well, this is kind of like a mouthful. It's like a very long word. It's kind of hard to pronounce. But then they started to really kind of get into it. Um, I remember one friend that I worked with in a fashion company and he was the the sales manager. And he was like, I don't know if you, if you should use it because a fragment is imperfect. And I was like, no, but that's precisely it, that I don't want things to be perfect. It's a celebration of imperfection and like the human hand. And I decided to open an Instagram with the, with this name. Um, I didn't have my name at first in there or anything. It was completely anonymous for like, um, for like six months or I don't know, I think for like a year, like if, if people maybe could connect the dots, but I didn't really tell anyone that I had started this Instagram or anything because I wanted people to, to follow it because they liked it, not because they were my friends and they felt that they, they had to support me. Um, and actually like, I, I, like a year later, I had some friends that finally connected the dots and they were like, oh my God, this was you. I didn't know it. I love that Instagram account. And I was like, okay, I know that you are being honest because you didn't even know it was me and you follow it all this time. Um, but I, I started this Instagram account to share um, some of the um, experiments that I have been doing and also some of, some of my inspiration um, and maybe like six months after doing this and working full-time as a fashion designer, I realized that maybe I was going to have to choose. Like I, at that point, like I had done one workshop in Italy and I had gotten like a commission work um, for, for like a friend's uh, music band. And then more people were asking me on Instagram, like if I was teaching workshops or if they could hire me for a commission and I really didn't have time. And I thought, well, um, maybe I can consider quitting my job uh, or maybe I can consider that this is not, that I'm not going to be doing any workshops or anything, that this is just going to be like an inspiration um, page and, and that's fine. Um, but I decided after like months of really considering like, well, there's always like jobs in fashion. Um, like I, I feel like, especially in New York City, it's it's very dynamic. There's There's always opportunities so I thought well I think I can um I can take this risk like I had saved money uh for three months so like December 2016 I, I quit my job uh and then I gave myself three months like that's how much money I had saved like for being alive in New York City for three months and soon after uh like during those three months like I got um I started 
doing workshops in my studio and like they all like, would sell out within like one or two weeks and then some comp like some some person that i met on instagram got hired uh as a production coordinator for like um a hammock brand and they were making these hammocks in el salvador and bringing them here they were supposed to be like luxury hammocks and the the owner of the company the founder he didn't really like the colors they were giving him in el salvador for the for the yarn um it was very vibrant i think like the 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 stereotypical uh look that people imagine in contemporary times for products coming from um from latin america and he was really not um into them necessarily um i think in his case also because his family his paternal family is from el salvador so he had grown up with a more tra traditional time he, he he knew that it didn't have to be these very saturated colors and he hired this this girl that told him like well actually i i know this person in in brooklyn that um she's working with with natural dyes even having to explain what natural dyes are because still many people didn't know um and all her colors are are mm, are rich but very subtle maybe you're going to like them and then i met with him and he he loved them and that was like my first big big client like i was literally dying full hammocks for them uh super physical work because the, the hammocks get very heavy um but getting this client very early on really allowed me to then like extend my three months to like six months and then a year and well now i have been doing this um for four years i think or since 2017 18 19 yeah like five years um and then it's i feel it's like a snowball right that it's like more more client work starts to come that people wanting to me to dye things for them or to develop brand uh the recipes for them um more spaces to do workshops like at first i was doing them in my studio um but since like 2018 i have been teaching classes in their brooklyn botanic garden um in like their art department they have an art department that is promoting people's connection with plants and also in the new york botanic botanic garden but um, I, I stopped after like a year in the New York one because it's so far away in the Bronx that it, it was just like really complicated logistically and too many things on the plate. But um, at the same time that I was like, that I started teaching and like doing this client work, um, I started to develop my own personal, personal projects, um, mixing all these different interests, right? Like natural dyes, but also the fact that I had worked in fashion before. So I understand how to make patterns and how textiles behave. And it, it is, um, I, I am not too interested in the part where you have to like sell these garments um, because at the end of the day, clothes ha have to fit uh, a purpose, right? Which is fitting really well on the body. Like even for me as a customer, like I'm, I'm, there are designers that I love, but at the end of the day, the clothes that I'm going to buy are the ones that are that are feeding me. And it's a conversation that I'm not too interested in having with Fragmentario, like exploring, like, or at least so far I haven't had it. Um, but the moment of where you are creating a garment and you are making a photo and that you are kind of like making a moment is one that I am uh, that I am interested in. And it's in a very emotional way. I don't have... I have thought about it. I don't, I don't have like a very deep reason to explain it for me. It's just like a, a very emotional thing. Um, so 
this first year that I was doing Fragmentaria full time, I I did uh, a capsule collection and also a research project called Aguacate. So it was all using um, avocado seeds that a restaurant provided me. That was the year that I started uh, getting avocado seeds from from restaurants. Um, so I I did like a, a very small capsule collection. Everything that with these avocado seeds. Um, all the patterns were patterns that I had made myself. Um, the prototypes were made with a by a factory, not not by me. Um, a, a factory that I had met before when I was working as a fashion designer, and it's a family-owned space. Uh, they're really beautiful people. Like they even made my wedding dress, and they even gave me a present. So it's it's really a, a very special relationship that I have with them. Um, but at the same time, like a research project, like exploring um, avocados. Right, as if I was a Martian and I never knew anything about this, um, because I started to become very, very interested in the fact that they there is this like euphoria around them in in the global north. And for me, I I, I had like an avocado tree in my house before like I moved here. Um, it, it's I I never thought anything about avocados. They they were just like if if I'm going to ask a person that grew up in New York state, what do they think about apples? Like you, I don't think there's much to talk about it. You grew up seeing an apple, right? It's like, we're not going to to discuss much, but once I, I moved into first France and then to New York, um, and you start to see that it's almost like a luxury item and it's people were very obsessed with it. And now it's like the other end people, I feel like they're like the scapegoat of like all the problems in the world. Um, uh, everyone and their mom has seen the one episode of Rotten of avocados. Um, I, I don't think they saw all the other ones because at the end of the day, like all like our food systems are completely messed up. Um, but anyways, like I, I did this project that was in the statement, like talking about this, this, all, all these topics around avocado, because I started to, to find out that, okay, there's like drug cartels involved, like in the growing of like avocados and then like, um, avocado hand. And I don't know, all sorts of like, uh, crazy things around this. And I mean, this was in 2017 when I feel that this wasn't such like a, a mainstream conversation. So this collection, I showed it in Paris during fashion week, but, um, it was kind of like the final step of an avocado tour. So uh, for two months in 2017, in the summer, I was in Europe doing workshops using avocado seeds and sharing with people how they could dye fabric with avocado seeds. Um, I Some of the cultural spaces that hosted me, like they, they were saving the avocado seeds for me, but also a lot of my family and friends. Um, there's like a, a huge Venezuelan diaspora, like right now, um, the it, it's one of the like most rapidly growing uh, diasporas, um, especially proportionally, like the, if, if you were to call the Venezuelan diaspora a state, it would be the most populated state of Venezuela. And it's like the second largest refugee crisis in the world. Like it's like a huge thing. So I barely have any family or friends left in Venezuela in the past, like 10 years, uh, most people have left. So, and, and most of them are in Europe or many of them at least. So I had these spaces saving the seats for me, but also a lot of my friends and family. And for two months, I was there like um, teaching workshops on natural on avocado seeds, specifically in in Spain and in Germany and in Italy, in different cities. And then the final step was the in in, in Paris for Fashion Week. And something that I noticed, and I already knew this, um, and I already had experienced it, that the water affected the color with natural dyes. 
But the moment that you are seeing this week after week for two months, and I was trying to explain it to people, it, it really made it be a little bit more interesting for me. And especially in this last step of the tour, which was Paris, I remember my hair started to feel super crunchy and my skin also was like, I don't know, like a cardboard. Like I, I remember feeling very uncomfortable, like what's going on with my skin and with my hair. And I was thinking like, well, it's because I have been two months away from home and I'm eating kind of weird and I'm not really sleeping well. Um, but then I started to uh, boil some avocado seeds to from like my makeshift showroom so people could see like the avocado seed water and like the the water that came from boiling the avocado seed was almost red. Whereas when I do it in New York, where the water is super soft, it's a very soft pink. Um, and I remember that moment thinking like, this is why my hair is super crunchy and my skin feels very uncomfortable. It's not because I have been eating weird or anything. It's it's the water. Um, and, and it really made me think like, okay, we can use avocado seeds to explore water and, and connect with like our environment, like in a different way. Um, I remember sharing this on, on Instagram and a friend of mine from engineering school, he, um, he went on to get his PhD in chemistry in Canada. And he messaged me telling me like, you know, once you're back in New York, you can actually make your, um, Paris water with different salts that you can add into, into the mix. And I started thinking like, well, yes, actually, right. Like, um, like calcium carbonate or all these things. So like, once I got back to New York, I started to do a lot of experiments, like how to shift the color of the water. So, um, like calcium carbonate, of course, and like citric acid, but something that I really try to do with my work is make things very easily understandable, uh, with things that people can really connect with. Um, so I, I soon started to experiment more with like baking soda and like and lime juice, um, because these are things that people have in the kitchen. People know what they are. And these two specific ones, because I also think there's something very interesting. The moment you talk about natural dyes, um, people start to think, okay, this is more healthy or more sustainable. Uh, anything natural is better. And I think people forget that there's also poison in nature. Uh, nature is not this like perfect space where everything is safe. Um, th there's also danger in nature and not everything that is synthetic is, um, is negative necessarily. Like we have a lot of like advancements in, in medicines. There's a lot of things that are made in a laboratory. So I feel like, okay, um, baking soda is something that is synthetic, right? It's made in a laboratory, but we are using it every day. And on the other side, like, uh, limes, um, they're natural. And I mean, they're, they're not, they're not toxic, but I have, um, they, they could be dangerous in a way. Like I had, my brother got second degree burns when he was like eight years old from, from limes because we were in a beach in Venezuela there was a lime tree and he started to collect them and put them like in his stomach, like just to carry them. And then the next day or that same day, I think when we were going back to, to Caracas, he started to complain his stomach was hurting. And then we, he had these giant bubbles just because it's acidic. And then the sun. So th this is a thing. It's like, um, I, I, I don't remember the name of, of the thing, but if you look up like, uh, margarita second degree burn because apparently it happens a lot to people that are working as bartenders like in uh resorts like by the beach because they're putting they're being in contact with lime and then with the sun um so i i felt this was kind of like an interesting way to communicate that not just because it's natural it's 
um, it's safe necessarily or healthy that, that there's it's always more complicated. Um, and I was planning that I was going to travel uh, again, do another like tour, but this time to uh, make like a fashion collection with these different waters of the places I was visiting. Um, but then the year I was planning on doing this, which was 2018, I applied for a green card. And when you apply for a green card in the States, you cannot leave the country until you get it. Um, so I had to be trapped here for like uh, like nine months or something like this. Um, so I started to kind of like reframe, like, okay, I, I cannot uh, exit the country, um, but I can have people who travel, they can bring me water, or I can ask the friends that the year before they saved avocados is for me, then now they can send me water from wherever they are. I initially thought of this project as a way to map this Venezuelan diaspora, right? That I would have like these different avocado seed hues uh, from the different waters that my Venezuelan friends and family would give me. But pretty soon, many people, not just Venezuelans, were interested in participating. And I decided to like open it up and keep the Venezuelan component like uh, as a more personal thing that I didn't really have to share with the world and make the larger project more about exploring water through avocado seeds. Um, this project's name was uh, Rosa Terracchio, which translates roughly to Pinks of the World. Um, so I got all these different waters and I dyed different fabrics and I made some, some garments with these. Um, I was able to present this collection at this space in Brooklyn called ABO that also closed during COVID, unfortunately. It was uh, a space that was uh, created by Minnie Cooper um, as a way to promote different ways of cultural expression in, in Brooklyn. And it was very, it was a very interesting space because since they, they had money from Mini Cooper, a lot of their program was free or, or very cheap. The, their whole thing was like really democratizing, um, like art and design. So, and the way they work is like each year they, they chose a theme upon which to all the programming was going to be around. And 2018, their theme was water. So when I saw that, I approached them, like, I have this project going on. So, um, and they were like, this is super interesting. Like they asked me to give them a budget for me to do a workshop. And um, I asked, maybe I can show some of these photos of this project that I'm working on. And they were like, well, maybe not just the photos. Like, why don't you do uh, a presentation with in, in real life in person? And I got, I remember feeling at first, at first very nervous because it, it's one thing to organize a photo shoot, which already it's like a complicated thing, but then to actually do something in real life, in, in person, um, it's, it's quite like a, a production. But I remember thinking, well, this, I, I don't feel prepared, but these people are giving me the space to do it. They're giving me a budget, so I will just figure it out. Um, so I presented this in for New York Textile Month in September 2018. Um, so I ask eight different uh, women who inspire me, like artists, designers, researchers, um, th that I just feel that they are kindred spirits. Like I wasn't too interested in working with professional models necessarily, even though some of them, they do work as a, as a model, but that was not the main reason why I chose them. And we created this sort of moment in which they had a lot of the elements that I have been using in my studio, um, the different waters, and and people could kind of like enter this world. Um, I think this was like a very important moment in, in my career because it made me realize that there could be ways to communicate these ideas beyond a workshop format. 
um, which I, I love the workshop format, but I think maybe it's not for, for everyone. So in, in this moment, like there was, it, it was more, more than a hundred people, you know, and like, you cannot do it in a workshop unless you're like a guru and you're going to be on like a stage with a microphone and it's going to be strange. Um, so I remember started thinking like, okay, there's something here that I can communicate without words. Um, and it was the moment of like, started to reconsider a little bit. Something that also happened while I was making this project was um, I started to grind up my avocado seeds into a powder, uh, I, I just for volume. I had too many avocado seeds from another restaurant that started giving me seeds that year. And it, it was getting a little bit overwhelming. And I thought, well, if I grind them into a powder, they're going to take up less volume. So it will be better for storing. But the ones that started grinding them up, um, I started to realize that it felt like a sand and it felt like a sand from a very specific beach from back home that it's called uh, Playa Colorada, kind of like the translation is a little bit like tan beach because the sand is kind of orange, like a very vibrant orange. Um, so when you grind the avocados, it's first they're like uh, a tan color, like like nude almost. Um and then they, their oxidation process starts and they become very like orange. And then it just settles in a sort of kind of like a, a soft pink color. Uh, but this initial tan color, it started to really make me think of this one beach back home. And I ended up using this powder for, for the photos, uh, creating kind of like my own beach in like a loft in like industrial space in, in, in Brooklyn. Um, and also for like the hair and like, and almost kind of like a makeup, but, but like a, a sand makeup. And I started to think if I could um, find a way to make uh, like ceramics or bricks with this material or just with this work with this material. And that's where my next project, which I just exhibited now in London, that, that was a little bit like it's, it's Genesis. Like, um, like, okay, I have this material. How can I use it? not just as a dye, but like in these other ways. Um, and it took me like a year of like trial and error with like different binding materials, like some traditional and some not. And finally, I uh, I started experimenting with some seaweeds that people are using in general for like uh, alternative, like uh, plastics and leathers and ceramics. There was um, one in particular that I really loved working with it because it works really well as material, but also from like a storytelling perspective, because it's a, it's a seaweed that is actually invading the Caribbean coast right now. Um, so it's a coast that I grew up visiting very much. Like if, if you look in the map, Venezuela has like the largest coast in the Caribbean and Caracas, the city where I grew up, it's kind of like an hour from the beach. So almost every other weekend when I was growing up, I was going to the beach um, as a little child. Like I didn't, we didn't really do much of like going to a mountain to do a picnic or this type of thing. It was really going to the beach a lot because it's also a tropical weather. So we don't have a winter. It's just like all year long, uh, for Christmas, you go to the beach for, uh, I don't know, like all the time you're just like going to the beach and, and being around seaweed. So it was for me kind of really special that the one that worked the best from a materiality perspective is also one that um that has a connection to the place where where i'm from um so this project la Rentrada, is proposing uh, an avocado seed economy not um 
not as proposing avocado seeds as a commodity that has to be sold or not proposing either um, consumption of avocados, but just like using this material and making many things with it. So some of the things that are part of this project, like um, the manifestations are of course like bricks. I have been making a lot of bricks um, with the avocado seeds, but also a sort of like Adobe material that could be used for making houses, uh, some plastics, leathers, also some um, glass. Uh, I say with quotation marks because it's like a, a fake glass. It's actually using sugar and avocado seed powder. Um, also electricity, the same way that like potatoes can conduct electricity, like avocado seeds also can do it. Uh, and also uh, an oil that can be extracted from avocado seeds. And for this project, I use it in a video to fuel a car. So th there are people that are fueling cars with waste vegetable oil. And I found a woman on Instagram that she actually has her own uh, car repair shop in uh, on the outskirts of Pittsburgh. And I contacted her last year, uh, telling her about this project and asking her if she thought maybe uh, avocado seeds could also, avocado seed oil could work also for fueling the car. Uh, she said, yes, most likely because all vegetable oil works and May or April this year with no April this year. Um, I did a video with her that she's driving her car that has been, it's changed to be able to be fueled with vegetable oil. So we fueled it with avocado seed oil and she was wearing uh, an avocado seed diet outfit. And it was kind of like the very extreme. It's, it's a little bit of like a crazy world where everything is with avocado seeds. Um, And I, I presented it just now in London at the London Design Biennale um, as a proposal for a post-petroleum economy for Venezuela that would allow the return of the Venezuelan diaspora. Um, the, the reason why there are all these Venezuelans in the world, I mean, it's like a complicated political, economic, and economic situation for the past um, 15, 20 years. But that, that it's, it's not just about oil, but one of the main Um, characters in this drama is actually like all of our economy depends on on petroleum uh, exports and it's it's an industry that it's dying you know like I, I think that we are a little bit beyond the conversation about how it's affecting the world like from an environmental perspective I think everyone kind of like agrees and it's it's clear people even like the oil companies are investing a lot of money now in alternative sources of energy Um, and, and the reality is that the price of oil is not high anymore. Um, it's an industry that it's like suffering. And I, I think that there is like a really urgent need in, in Venezuela to kind of find this new economy and not just an economy, but also an identity, because a lot of like the, um, the, the way that Venezuelans are today, um, it's, it's not just in a vacuum that because, and not even just because of like the, the climate or the nature it's also just we had this industry and this industry created very specific types of associations of um of aspirations basically like the, the way that we want the city to be the way that we want to dress the even the the countries that we look up to it's 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 very tied to this um the, for example like this industry was developed a lot by um like americans at first so the, there's Like baseball is super popular in Venezuela. And this is not the case, for example, in Brazil. And the reason baseball is super popular is because these Americans came and they kind of popularized baseball. 
So if you see like in the um, big leagues here, players, there's always Venezuelans and they're super, super good. The, the ones that made it into here. And it, it, this is this is because of petroleum. It's it's not because people liked baseball. They saw it on a TV. No, it's because the Americans came and then they presented oil, um, sorry, baseball, and it became a popular sport. Um and many other aspects of society, even the idea of like a nuclear family, this was something that was not really the case in, in Venezuela before these companies came. Uh, when the companies came, they built houses in a very specific size just for a mom and a dad and two kids. And that's it. And, and before that, the families were were, were larger. It's, it was like a very different concept of like where the family starts and, and ends. And it, even that changed through, through those years. So the the whole point that's why for me when i did the video with this girl driving the car it was very important that she's also wearing a dress with this thing and kind of rethinking how this um is going to to be manifesting itself beyond an economy um in i also had uh in in the exhibition of course fabrics that i had dyed with avocado seeds um which was an, an important thing for me to include because even if these, my, my own research and my work has evolved past natural dyes, I wouldn't have done all this really strange experimentation if it wouldn't have been because, uh, wow, eight years ago, I discovered by accident in a fabric store in New York City that you could dye fabric with onion skins. Um, so it's, it's interesting because all throughout my work with natural dyes, I have always told people that... Um, for, for me, a lot of my interest also in natural dyes is almost as a metaphor that uh, they can be kind of like a gateway drug for you to learn about history or about experimentation or about taking more control of your own creative pursuits because you, then you're, you're not um, bound to a fabric having this color or this fabric. You can make your own color. And I, I think there's something very powerful there that you really kind of own um, your creative possibilities and I, I think this was like the ultimate expression of that that like from boiling avocado seeds to dye some fabric to make some dresses I can make an oil that can fuel a car and I wouldn't have gotten there if I was just working as a traditional fashion designer um, so it, it was like really important for me to have this and even in the exhibition the way I place all these objects was kind of like a replica of my studio like a, a shelf and the natural dyes fabrics uh, dyed fabrics are in the bottom because it, it's the pillars that allowed for all this to to happen and it, it's important to acknowledge it also because I feel like textile work doesn't it's not taken super seriously normally it's almost like a hobby or a craft and I mean there's a lot of uh, reasons regarding like gender and, and the, the way we value things but for, for, for me even if I'm not doing this work too much anymore it's it's super important this episode of the natural dye podcast has been produced by myself Kelsey Doty and my co-producer Britt Bowles Our theme song, Tinctoria, is by Liz Galorn and her band. Please make sure to support them on Bandcamp. We hope you can join us again next time, and thank you for listening to the Natural Dye Podcast. Natural Dye.